9.1 says this, There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They, they rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray again. Father, we come to you this morning. And I know that in this room there are people who acutely feel the darkness. We feel it. We can feel that our world is broken. Lord, I pray today as we turn to your word that our joy and our hope and our confidence would come from the reality that you have shown your light. You'd strengthen those who are weak this morning. You would give courage to those who are afraid. You would give joy to those who are joyless. And you would move in every unbelieving heart this morning, making scales fall off eyes, making life come from what is dead. Move, Father, we pray. And we know, we know it's only you, only you can do this. I am just a man and racked with weaknesses. I fought this morning with my own motives. This is not dependent upon me. This has to be you. And so, Father, I pray, we pray together as a church that you'd move through your word in our hearts for the glory of Christ's name. I pray for my brother, Sam Parker, in Ridgeview Bible Church this morning in Shadron, Nebraska. I pray that you would embolden him as he preaches the word this morning and that the people would rejoice in Christ. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, this is the first week of Advent. That's why we light the candle. That's what these banners are about, why we put these new banners, lovely banners up, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of everlasting father, prince of peace. Most everything that we do here for the next four Sundays is going to be about Advent, right up to the Christmas Eve service. I love this time of year. Didn't you love this time of year? It's a good time of year. The word Advent means 
coming or arrival. It's meant to be a season of expectant waiting. We're reminded by Advent of the time of waiting for the long-promised Messiah to come and rescue his people from their oppression. That's what Isaiah 9 is about. All of our hope in this dark world is on the grace and the mercy of God who rescues us from this darkness by sending a child, the Son. On Christmas Day, Christians celebrate that reality. We celebrate that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem us. We even call that historical moment the first advent of Christ. We call it the first advent because there will be a second one. The penultimate verse in the Bible, Revelation 22.20 says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. There will be a second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will come. Isn't that good? I encourage your heart this morning. So in that sense, we are in this valley between two high, glorious, saving advents. God sent forth his son and we have hope because of Jesus. And God will send Christ again. And the not yet that we've talked about so much will finally and decisively become the already. Jesus will set all things right. And Advent is meant in part to give us hope now as we await the Savior's return, as we wait in anticipation in this dark world for the light to finally and fully shine. So friend, if you are feeling the darkness of the world today, if the sin and suffering around you is a theme and your heart is tired of all of this, Advent is for you. Advent is the season purpose-built to give you hope. The light has shone, and the light will shine, and there's a sense in which it is shining now in the gospel. There's hope, and I pray that the Lord would use these weeks to build up your hope in Christ. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, and some correlating New Testament passages will be our anchor point for this Advent season, and especially the four names that you see up here from verse 6, Wonderful Counselor, I'm going to hit that a little bit today, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fly over, a bit higher over this passage. We'll, we'll get closer to the ground in coming weeks, okay, as we continue to look at this passage Today, we'll stay a little high and note for our joy the big, five big landmarks of this passage. Have you ever flown into Sioux Falls and tried to orientate yourself by picking out landmarks? You know, oh, there's that park. I know that park. There are the falls. You see that? That's, that's, I know where I am. I know where my house is. Oh, and there's 57th Street and that wonderful church. This is what we're doing this morning. We're noting five landmarks of this passage that should orientate us and give us hope and joy in our wonderful counselor. May the Lord use these weeks to build up our confidence in Christ, our hope in him as we walk in this dark world. And even our resolve, I hope that the Lord will do this, even even strengthen our resolve to hold up this light for others to see. 
So the first landmark, I've been hitting on it a bit this morning, we've been talking about it, Pastor Thomas talked about it, it is the darkness that we see in verse 2. Look again at verse 2 with me. It says darkness twice, it says it in two different ways. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. I'm sure that most of you have experienced deep darkness. I don't, I don't mean the everyday kind of darkness, the every night kind of darkness. You know, it's kind of dark. You, you might stub your toe, but you can see well enough to get to the kitchen and get yourself a glass of water. I don't mean that kind of darkness. I mean deep darkness. One place I've experienced deep darkness is in jungle areas in the world and moonless nights. You've been in, in those kind of places the high canopy of the jungle and the lack of any nearby man-made lights from cities make for an especially deep darkness. A sort of picture, I think, I think that's what we should have in our heads as we think about verse 2. No light at all. Not some light. There's no way to make your way forward. You have no light at all. I once led a group of college students on a night hike in the jungles of West New Britain and Papua New Guinea. Anyone been to West New Britain and Papua New Guinea? It was near where the Loco tribe is, if you're interested to know that. I have no idea why I, why I was leading that night hike. I didn't really know the way. But I was the leader of the team, and someone handed me a lantern in their wisdom. They explained the path, and off we went. Without that lantern, we would have had no way of making it. It was just too dark. And even with that lantern, the it was difficult going. I held it straight in front of me. You know, as I'm walking, the lantern straight in front of me. We were kind of walking single file through the, through the woods. And I was fine. I, I was stepping over, over fallen logs. I was ducking under branches. The lantern had enough light to keep me safe. But the guys behind me were making all kinds of unsettling noises as they walked. <laughs> Stumbling, falling, heads hitting branches, that sort of thing. I wasn't sure what was going on back there until an Australian guy who was on our team made his way up and suggested that it might be more helpful for me to hold the lantern in such a way so that the blokes behind me could walk by its light as well and not just in my big shadow. Fine. <laughs> Verse 2 says that those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness... This is where they are. This is their context. They've dwelt in the land of deep darkness. The original context, you, you can see, if you do any reading about that context, you can see what he meant. You see, this was written 700 years before Jesus was born. 700, more than 700 years before Jesus was born. And Assyria was about to come and sweep away the southern kingdom, Judah, and take them off into captivity. This is judgment. Judgment because of their sin and their faithlessness. They had, they had turned from trusting in God and the land of deep darkness that they were experiencing was owing to their sin. Friends, sin always leads to darkness. Sin always leads to darkness. All unchecked sin leads to darkness. The reason we can describe our world as dark is because of sin. Our own sin and the sin in this world. We feel it, don't we? We feel how difficult it is to see the path, how difficult it is to see all the pits and the branches and the fallen logs. It's dark. We dwell in a land of deep darkness. That's the context of this poem, deep darkness. 
And it's, it's fitting for the first week of Advent. We, we need that context to really get this. The original context, the sense of deep darkness and our context. We don't have a hard time relating with this. I don't think you do. I know that some of you really feel that these days in your life. You've, you've told me. We can relate to verse 2. And all we want when we are dwelling in the land of deep darkness is to see some light. We want the light to shine. And that leads me to the next big landmark of this passage. The promise of Isaiah 9, landmark number 2, is that the light will shine. This is the reason we light candles at Advent. It's symbolic of that promise. Darkness, right? And then one candle is lit. And then two, and then three, and then four, and then on Christmas Eve, we light the the center candle. And it's all meant to be one big image in this darkness, this seemingly impenetrable, heavy, deep, unnavigable darkness. God shines his light. The light has shone. That's landmark number two. Landmark number three is that the light shines via a child. I love this. The light shines via a child. Verse 2 says the light has shone. And verse 6 says, for unto us a child is born. You can put that together right. It's pretty easy. The light that God shines into this deep darkness is the light that comes from a child and from the sun. S-O-N. Seems to me that we see in those two images a child and a son both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. We see that he is truly man and that he is truly God. A child is born, it says. A flesh and blood baby. There's a real childbirth that happened 700 plus years after this poem was written. And he'd be born in a little village to a young virgin mother. He'd be wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know the story. He'd be laid in a manger. It was a real birth. The light would shine, would be truly man. He would be a child that was born. And it would be through a son that was given. God would send the son to be the light that shines in the darkness. The child would be the son, truly man, truly God. Listen to how Galatians 4, 4 through 7, puts those two images together. Clearly shows us this. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem us. God sent his son to shine the light into this darkness. The light that would shine would be truly man and truly God. And I keep dwelling on this image, the image of light shining in darkness, because I think it's so helpful here and it's helpful. Jesus is the light that shines on those dwelling in deep darkness. He himself he himself uses this language. Jesus used this language. John 8, 12, just as an example. He said, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. Like the light. Not a light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
This is the promise to those who dwell in the land of deep darkness. The light will shine. Jesus, the child, the sun will shine. You have to put this into your context, right? Your own context. A moment ago, I asked you if you feel this darkness. Perhaps you feel it in your own life, not just in the world around you, but in your experience. And the very real answer is the light of life. The answer is Jesus. God has shown the light on those who dwell in deep darkness. You no longer have to stumble around in darkness, friend. You can turn to the light of life. You can turn to Jesus. The next landmark, landmark number four, helps us to see how sure the promise, how sure the promise of this light is. So I want you to keep in mind, I've said it a couple of times, I want you to keep in mind that Isaiah 9 was written over seven centuries, seven centuries before the birth of Christ. The fullness of times in Galatians 4 points back to the birth of Christ, right? But Isaiah 9 points decidedly forward to the, point, to the birth of Christ. Yet, the promise in Isaiah 9 of this light that would shine in Christ is so sure that verse 2 is written in the past tense. Past perfect tense. The people who, who walked in darkness have, have seen a great light. And those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. The promise is so sure. It's written in the past tense. And I want you to feel that. I mean, that's so good. It's as if God is promising not just what he will do, but what he has done before the foundation of the world. When our God, who is not constrained by time, promise to do, promises in time to do something in the future, it's as sure as if it always has been. That's why the Bible can speak of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world and names, your names, written in a book before the foundation of the world. If your name, if you are in Christ, is written in his book, and it was written there before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 1 and many other passages. A promise made by God in time is timelessly sure. Verse 2 is written in the past tense. Rejoice in that grammar today, friend, for it means everything for you. You who are weary and struggling, you for whom darkness seems to be all-encompassing, you for, who, for whom your sin seems to be winning, you who do not know tomorrow, you who cannot number your days. The light has shone. Glory in that tense today, friends. Let all your confidence and hope for tomorrow and for today Rest in Jesus. The last and final landmark that we'll notice today before we circle back for another pass next Sunday is that all of this work is a work of God. You can see that in a couple of places. One, verse 7, says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All of the rescuing action in Isaiah 9 is the work of God. It is the Lord who accomplishes salvation for his people. This is the emphasis of this passage. 
All of Isaiah 9 is about God rescuing his people. It's stated plainly in verse 7, the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The salvation of God, the light shining in darkness, is entirely, is entirely a work of God. It's not some mixture of God's grace and man's efforts. It's not a, a bit of grace and a bit of merit. It's not the picture of Isaiah 9. Man is, not, man is seemingly doomed in a land of deep darkness. He cannot make any light at all. He cannot find his way in the dark. He has no hope outside of God. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God saves and God alone. And you can see this even in the first title there, Wonderful Counselor, in verse 6. God saves, God alone. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor. You know what a counselor is, right? You know what a counselor is. Some of you have had counseling. You know what a counselor is. It's one who sits down with you, kind of steps into your world, hears your problems, hears them, compassion, and then helps you plan a way forward, see the way forward, know the way that you should go. It's what I do when I counsel someone who is struggling with sin or with their marriage or with their parenting or with their wayward emotions. They sit on my couch, which I've affectionately dubbed the cry couch. You are more than welcome to come and cry on my couch in my office. Well, ask first, but <laughs> I listen to their struggles. I try to understand them. I try to figure out what's going on in their world. And then with an open Bible, I try to help them see the way forward. That's what we call counseling. I'm a counselor, but I am merely a fallible counselor. It is possible, though unlikely, that I could give you some bad advice. I, I could tell you to go a certain way and you might still stumble and fall. Not so. <laughs> not so with this counselor. He is not a fallible counselor like I am. His name is Wonderful Counselor. There is zero fault. There is zero fallibility in his counsel. His way, his words are the words of eternal life. He is the Word, and the Word is the life of men. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who knows our issues and has stepped into our dark world and has shown the way forward. He is the way forward. This is all God's work. Are you seeing that in Isaiah 9? Salvation is God's work. The gospel of true Christianity is not hope that we have vested in man's attempts to find his way to God. We're not trying to find God as if he is lost. It is the other way around. God, when we were desperate and lost, found us and shows us the way. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad that he did not leave it to you? Aren't you thankful that God does not say here, those who are dwelling in darkness must somehow figure out how to shine some light so they can find their way to me? I am. The older I get, the better I know myself, the more happy I am that God has done it all. That he has shown a light on me, shined his light on me. He has broken the yoke. He has burned the warrior's boot. Lots of images in this passage. He has given the son. A child was born. He is the wonderful counselor. It is his zeal that will do this. 
The salvation is of the Lord. Trust in him, friend. Look away from yourself. Look away from your merit. Look away from your supposed goodness. And look to Jesus Christ alone. So these five landmarks today. This promise is for dwellers who dwell in the land of deep darkness. This promise is of light that will shine, has shone. The light that shines is Christ. The promise of this light is so sure that it is given in the past tense. And it is the zeal of the Lord that will do this. Oh, what hope we have today. I know for some of you, the thing on your mind this morning is whether this time next year you'll still be married or whether your marriage will end or whether your loved one will still be alive a few months from now. Your big concern today might be whether the chemo will do its trick for your cancer or whether you will ever find a spouse. Your big concern might be your struggle with pornography, a struggle you seem to lose more than you win or whether your relationship with your son will ever reconcile. We have parenting issues on our mind this morning. I know there are some here. We have issues about school that we're thinking about. Real life problems, right? Real life. And that's the point, really. We feel the darkness, and in so many ways. And that is why I am preaching Isaiah 9 to you this morning. And why we are celebrating Advent, and why in a few moments we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. The reason is because the ultimate answer to all of those various ways that we feel the darkness is God's grace to us in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Him. Those who have dwelt in darkness, on them the light has shone. That is the answer. That's what you must turn to and cling to and hope in, the glorious past tense promise that the light has shone, shines in Christ, and will shine again in him. He is the light of life. And maybe I could give you one final word as we approach this Advent season together. Let me just go back to that cute little story I told you about walking through the jungles of PNG at night, holding the lantern in front of me and just casting a shadow behind me. Oh, friends, let's hold this light. Let us hold this light, the light of Christ and his birth and his life and his death, his death in our place, his resurrection. Let us hold this light for all to see. He is the lantern. Hold this up so that the blokes around us can see. The world is dark, and and the means that God uses, the means that God uses to shine his light, the light of Christ into that darkness is us. It's you, it's me, with the gospel, holding up the light. So let's hold up Christ in this Advent. Let's, let's hold up the light of Christ so that those around us, fellow dwellers in the land of deep darkness, might see and believe and have hope. Let's pray, and then I'm going to, I, I've invited Josh Stebrel to share He's going to come and share his testimony, and then we're going to partake together of the Lord's Supper. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for the light that is shown in Christ. We thank you, Father, for 
that we are not left to figure this out. But you have shown your light. I pray today, Father, that we would see it and rejoice in it. I pray for those who, who come today doubting. Oh, Lord, would you today make it clear for your glory. We pray for our brother Josh as he comes and he shares. We pray that you would give him clarity. We pray that you give him freedom of speech. Help us to see this light that you've shown in his heart and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.